Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2021. Episode 345, Making Trash Games for Love. Presented by Jack Rosetree, Olivia Montoya, and Taylor Labrush. practice who was going to speak first. Uh, but hello. Um, <laughs> uh, welcome to uh, this incredible panel about making trash games for love. Uh, real quick, uh, we have a slide deck that should be up on your screen for folks. Um, we welcome you to check out our slides, play along from home. Uh, we are also going to have some notes on there, and we have a slide with uh, some honorable mentions of resources and links to some of the stuff that we'll be talking about. Uh, if we bring up anything that's not on those slides, I'll make sure to go in and add them uh, post hoc. Uh, and this this URL should be valid forever. So um, you are welcome to pull that up. It's like I said, the URL is going to be on every slide. So uh, if you feel like we might have missed something, or you're like thinking back, like oh what was that thing that they mentioned? Make sure to, to write down that URL uh, and, and you can go and find that. Um, we are gonna get into it here. Uh, if I can make sure that the presentation is the active screen. Um, yeah, so uh, we have on our screen a quick little agenda, some time breaks here. Um, We'll go ahead and start with introductions. So my name is Taylor Labrush. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Leviathan Files. Uh, I am a podcaster and game designer. I run Riverhouse Games. Um, and I also run Game Closet, an informal chat show with queer and LGBT plus folks uh, in RPGs. Uh, I am a huge fan of trash, uh, legitimate and otherwise. Um, and I am very excited to be uh, sharing my time here with some lovely co-hosts, uh, and I will let them introduce themselves. Go ahead, Olivia. <laughs> so I am Olivia Montoya, pronoun she, her. I am a an enthusiastic jack-of-all-trades. I am a zinester. I am a programmer. I'm a game designer slash game dev. I experiment with all sorts of stuff and jump back and forth between a lot of different communities. <laughs> Uh, and I'm Jack Rosetree. I'm an indie game designer. Uh, I make lots and lots of games, many of them trash, uh, and and some of them uh, hopefully not. Um, and uh, this is this is my first big panel, so I'm excited. And and all of the uh, the uh, imposter syndrome is here with me. So I, I hope <laughs> you uh, you're ready to join me on this ride. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, I am going to just jump us in here and go into... Uh, Jack, do you want to give us a, a quick yeah. high level of what we're going to be talking about? Yeah, so, um, you know, the quick disclaimer is this is not a panel talking about the marketing of games, games in the industry, games sold as a product. This is games as art. And when you're talking about games of, as art, it's not enough to just say that games can be art in one fashion or a fashion. You want games to be art in all fashions. And that means that it's okay to do it your way. It's okay to do it only for yourself. And it's okay to do it very badly or to be bad at it. Um, uh, a point that I'm going to try and make is that the act of game design, whether there's a finished product or not, whether there's a sellable product or not, is still an act of artistic accomplishment. And we're all here for it. Um, it can be very uh, self-fulfilling. And so the concepts of good or bad art are mostly marketing terms. Um, what we're asking about your game is, does it serve its purpose? Does it tell the story you want? Does it use the mechanic you want? Um, you know, it's okay to make ugly, unmarketable, uncomfortable, downright bad games. Every game has a place in this universe. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think something that really excites me about trash art is kind of a um, mention of indulgence of like, um, and and also like a freedom of removing yourself from like the trappings of what is quote unquote good or what is expected. Um, something that really makes trash art appeal to me is just like not having to care about some of those things and just kind of doing uh, what feels right in the moment or, or what uh, is affirming to the idea of the art in, in my brain. Uh, I do a lot of play testing and, and I've gotten a few games to the table where somebody will say, this is a Jack Rose tree game. This has your voice, you know, there it's, it's, uh, you you can't pin it down as anything else, and mm-hmm. the, and something I just love about trash games is you know it's got an art to it, it's got a voice to it. It you can talk to your audience through it. Um, mm-hmm. Some of some of my favorite game experiences has been where within the scope of either the rule book or the game itself, the the designer behind it is in your ear talking to you as somebody that's playing their game, as opposed to just as somebody who is experiencing a, a product that they've produced. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like it's, it's something that is, hasn't been censored or sanitized like uh, corporate made corporate and slick and uh, like uh, made to, to appeal to the most number of people as possible. I think, I feel like I like, I like the things that are made for a niche or, mm-hmm. And that niche could be really small, and like you can see what you what what like you can really see the uh, the writer's voice in it. Like that's why I sometimes call these sorts of things zine games. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up. It reminded me of something uh, when I was still in college. I had a professor uh, who really shaped a lot of my life and and thinking about art. And she said that uh, the best poetry is the worst poetry. Um, <laughs> Because there's something that's like very earnest and uh, like vulnerable about writing bad poetry. And you can really learn a lot about like what is the author feeling and seeing and and hearing in just like absolute just doo-doo caca, horrible, (laughs) horrible poetry, like very cringe. uh, And I, I love that very much. Um, and I feel like that fits in. And I know that you've got a section on zine games, Olivia, and I'm, I'm very yep. excited to hear you I will talk be more expanding on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, why don't we go on to our next section here? Um, again, I'll make sure that I've got the presentation as my main window. Uh, Jack, do you want to take us away? Yeah. Uh, so I, I do a lot of playtesting. Uh, I, I am a mod for a virtual playtesting server. So um, my area is on you know the practical uh, side of design, um, getting design done. So when talking about trash games, you know, um, it's really good to remember that there are no rules, there are no boundaries. This is your trash. Uh, be proud of your beautiful trash. Um, a, a phrase I've been using a lot lately is make trash and be proud. Um, the idea that you need to adhere to certain constraints within uh, design, I mean, those constraints exist for a reason. They have a value within a certain set, but when you're talking about something that you're making purely for yourself, purely as an act of love, you don't need to worry about those. Um, a really good example is uh, the title. Uh, I have a game this weekend that I'm demoing, and I, I gave it a different title in all of the playtests. Not because I want to figure out which title is the best, but because that is part of the experience of the game. The game is about making weird questions. So the title is a different weird question every time. Um, uh, 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 Darla, uh, what's the last name? Uh, Burrow. Burrow uh, made a fantastic game called Dear Great Cthulhu, Please Stop Giving Me Superpowers. And it breaks a lot of rules about making a title for a thing, but it is a title where I feel like the designer is speaking into my ear and having a discussion with me on a level that other games wouldn't have. Like, like if you came up with a really witty kind of there's a pun in the title and people, you know, I don't want that. I want this weird long title that tells me a story. Um, so when talking about trash games, you want to design with a goal and, and purpose uh, and confidence. Um, come up with why you're making it. Do you want to tell a story? Do you want to create a specific feeling? Do you want to utilize a specific mechanic or 
be a specific thing. Um, a good example of being a specific thing is edible games. Uh, if your entire game is edible, build everything towards that. Uh, you know, make your instructions edible. Make your you know your components edible. Tell tell the players that they should throw food at each other as as a tiebreaker. You know, who knows. Um, you know, but focus in on the purpose of that, the thing you want, and everything else is band-aids and duct tape. Just just make it work. Um, you know, if you have a particular feeling that you want to get across, um, you know, build towards that feeling and then don't worry about the rest. You know, a great example is uh, Apples to Apples is, is a very popular game. Um, it builds around a particular kind of party mechanic and vibe, like kind of there's a jokey and like a creativity. And then there's the points which exist basically because they have to. And that's it. You don't worry about it. And so what I what I when I'm approaching these trash games, um, the minimum viable product is the product. Um, I want to get something out there so I can get people experiencing that thing that I was really, really excited about. Um, and and doing these trash games, like this is how we find really weird stuff, really unique stuff, innovative stuff, um, cathartic stuff. Um, you know, it, it's it's how we expand the market in a way that that feels great. And, and to go back to what I said earlier, the act of game design without a final product is still an act of artistic accomplishment and can still be very self-fulfilling. And I mm -hmm. love it for that. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, when you find someone who really connects with your hyper niche like super specific thing, it's like you get super excited and you might have made a new friend. <laughs> mhm. Mm mhm. Mm um I I almost wonder if there is uh I oh goodness, I had a question going on this uh and I lost it, but a little bit um of what I was thinking about is like the 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 finish state like what do we think is quote unquote success for a trash game because like i i think that we the three of us have unique perspectives on this uh mm -hmm. and i think this is a great time to bring this up is like when we think about like creating a trash game like what does that like what do we think of in our minds when that happens because like practical trash and going back to your bullet point two earlier is like does it achieve its purpose? So I'm I'm really curious, Jack, to like get uh, your perspective on like when you see that product or that finished thing, mm -hmm. like with a trash game, what does that mean for you? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, and again, does it serve its purpose? You know, if if your your goal is to tell a story, you know, tell that story and get out. Uh, mm -hmm. That's 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 how I've been handling it a lot lately, and and. That's not to say you can't go back and expand upon it, but when you're talking about the initial creation of these trash games, um, you know, a good example is uh, one of the Golden Cobra winners uh, last night is a game called Melt Me, which is about uh, sensually eating ice cream over Discord to simulate uh, having sex in a gay bathhouse in Japan. And there's a very particular feeling and a very particular story they are telling with this game. I absolutely love it. And Again, the rest is all duct tape and band-aids. Maybe they want to go back and they want to expand upon this, but there's a very specific emotional feeling that they are getting out of this game. And once you've achieved that, like fire it off, like send it out into the world, share it with the universe, because that's that's a great place to be. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be fun. It does. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, mechanically, uh, you know, resolved or, you know, you don't even have to have winners or losers. You know, I, I have a number of games where I just slap a, you know, a winner on the end that has nothing to do with what happened throughout the course of the game. Um, uh, and I think as again, as soon as you hit that minimum viable product, share it with the world. Like, uh, like recognize that it doesn't need to be refined. It doesn't need to be cleaned up. Like it can be rough around the edges. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm particularly curious to see your distinction between like a finished minimum viable product that is a trash game and something that you are still think like making, and you're like, this mm. is a trash game but it isn't quite there yet. Like the, what is the, the difference between a finished trash game and a, maybe like a trashed trash game? Oh, uh, wow. That's yeah. That's, that's a little difficult. Um, 
it's they're all on a spectrum really sure. like um a lot of my a lot of my games start out as as trash games and either develop into something else or they start as something else and i eventually come to somewhere else most of them start with i have a design conceit or a design goal so like one that i'm working on right now uh which there's a picture of uh is is a a two-player make it as complex as possible game um basically what i would love for somebody to eventually say about this game is it's pretty good for a game made out of problems mm. Uh, it includes a chess set. It's got a poker deck. It's got a racetrack. It's got a resource deck. It's got worker placement. It's this massive sprawling thing. And you know what? Like it may never see the light of day, or maybe at some point one part of it will eventually like pull out and become a real thing. Um, but again, you know, whatever happens, it's an act of art and love to make these things and to work on these things and uh you know if your goal is to create a game you're probably playing the game a little bit wrong mm -hmm. um you know your goal should be get get a thing that you want to share with the world out into the world if that's your goal like art can be something that you just hang on the wall and is just for yourself that's totally fine mm -hmm. um also like sometimes playing the game of designing a game can mm -hmm. be that that can be the whole point is that making a game can be a game in and of itself <laughs> yeah i love that um can you say just a little bit more on that because i we have a little bit uh, of time net left before your section and i, I want to hear more about that uh that thought um, so, well, the thing that comes to mind immediately is um, uh, John Cole's LARP Jam, which is a it's it's a system for running a game jam. But uh, there's a paragraph in there that's uh, it says like treat this system as if that's a game. Like uh, mm. like uh, like if you run LARPs, um, like treat this as if it were a LARP uh, itself. Like and be play learn to be playful and uh and like put down some of the the uh the barriers you've put up around like uh like how can i act in the real world this is this is like a magic circle where you get to uh be someone else you can do things that uh you don't need permission mm -hmm. uh, you don't need permission to be someone who you aren't usually like mm -hmm. it's like create a space where you can do things without feeling uh like be creative without feeling guilty about it <laughs> right yeah. um there's there's been this growth of like a number of like kind of meta kind of games for making games um like the the jam that's going on this weekend literally was we they rolled some dice and came up with some weird constraints and now people make games based on that constraint there's a uh, game called i think i think there's a game literally called unpub and it's and it's just you come you you make up a game and you pitch it similar to like a snake oil or a uh, you know a bad medicine. And I played it once, and the game I pitched because I love this stuff was a game that you could only play if you had six arms and incredible strength and you know all this other stuff. And and one of the questions uh, that I got was, well, what what can you say about the accessibility of this game? And my response was, well, there is none yeah <laughs> like it is you, not accessible for anyone. it is not accessible for anybody unless they have six arms and there's the size of a bus and also they have an advanced degree in newtonian physics yeah. like um and i love theory crafting at that level where there are no rules and you can mm -hmm. you know th things don't need to be fair fairness is overrated um you know uh uh there's there's been a few um times where i've had the opportunity to design something that was fair into my game and i'm like but that's not part of the voice mm -hmm. like this game has a particular voice and i would rather do something that fits that voice than to do something that is mechanically sound according to mechanical academics yeah for sure well i think we'll move topics a little bit here mm -hmm. um let me there we go uh, and start here. Olivia, I know you've got a couple slides here. So when you want me to just give me a, a heads up on next slide, or if you want to go back, let me know. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, so this is my section where um, I want to talk about trash design encouragements and community. So like, 
uh, places that uh, like communities and spaces out there that encourage you to uh, make trash <laughs> and like make it make it proudly and, and like revel in that and in other people's trash <laughs> essentially be a raccoon <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one of these is zine culture um, zine culture isn't just about RPG zines. Zine culture is something that has existed independently for decades, um, where it's a community of people who make these self-published booklets, and they can be about anything, like literally anything. Like, I've seen a zine that's about uh, whether or not um, like Godzilla or King Kong had worse smelling breath, and that was the zine. Um, and pe there's an audience for it, so... <laughs> what can we learn from this zine culture? Like there's there's some some things that are very common across zine culture, like um like ha, the, the the DIY ethos, do it yourself, but there's this community of people that you can interact with, learn things from, um share with, trade with. So do it yourself but together is one of the things that I like to say that we can learn from zine culture as games people. And another one of these lessons from zine culture is appropriate appropriate slash steal what's useful and remix it. So they're like essentially create the create a Frankenstein monster if you want to, like have with lots of moving parts, like take something, like hack things together, um, create something uh where you're standing on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> And uh, also uh, another lesson is that sharing is caring, but care for yourself in how you share. So you get to have control over how you distribute your game, if at all. Um, so like, if you do choose to share with other people, um, something positive will almost certainly result if you're like within a, a supportive culture like this. Um, but uh, you can also say like, I, I'm going to make a few copies of this game and give it to my friends. And that's the extent of how I'm distributing it. Or uh, do like, uh, like upload it to itch.io, um, let people download it or set a specific price for it. Uh, and you get to set your own rules for copyright. Like that's another thing you, that the, the zine community is big on. Like you get to set different rules, like for like what, whether like, you need my permission to copy this thing or make a hack of it or um, reprint something. Or they can, they sometimes use terms like copyleft or anti-copyright if they want people to take their stuff <laughs> and do something with it. Uh, some people use like uh, various gradations in between those like Creative Commons licenses, but you get to choose how people interact with your work. And then uh, one of the most important things is don't worry about how good or accomplished you are. Like that's one of the most profound lessons that I've learned from zine culture is that everyone has something that uh, they can put out there and that they shouldn't feel like they have to have been done something important or uh, like recognized by society in order for it to be worthwhile to write. Like, I, I teach zine workshops and one of the most common things people come up and tell me about is that they, they feel like they shouldn't make a zine because they haven't like done anything important and that like it makes them feel like imposter syndrome like mm. um uh they feel uh, guilty almost about wanting to make a zine and they feel like am am i being too selfish or self-indulgent and that that's not the case at all because there is a an audience for literally everything i have seen this in zine culture like the weirdest most niche most specific trashiest scenes there's always someone who wants it and, and what i tell people if they're still like not sure about it is well you have an audience for your game because i want to read your zine mm -hmm. um at the very least i want it <laughs> mm -hmm. and also uh, another another lesson from zine culture F capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, uh, it doesn't have to be commercial in order to be worthwhile. And mm -hmm. also, you want to be able to create community by trading skills, materials, and final products. And an another thing that's common in zine culture is using sliding scale prices. Um, and that's something that I've been seeing popping up elsewhere. Um, and it's great. Like uh, and also stuff like community copies is coming from uh, indie the indie RPG scene um, on itch especially, and mm -hmm. I think that's great and very zine like. 
And another another thing that we can learn from specifically queer zine culture is how, and other marginalized groups within zine culture, is that you can connect with people who are like you in like these specific ways that if you don't if you don't have these people around you in your uh, like in your physical life, you can connect with them across the distance through trash design, through mm-hmm. making zines, through making games. Like I I have found some of my greatest friends through like hyper specific game design. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, next slide. Yeah. Just to jump in there, I so I have a uh, one-page adventure that's uh, it's like a solo thing. It's called, it's 1993 and you're sitting alone in a hotel pool. And the description page says, it's 1993 and you're sitting alone in a hotel pool. And then the description, the, the, like everywhere that I can possibly write that phrase, like I even wrote it as a comment myself. And, and the, the, the uh, adventure got two comments. One is this very well thought out uh, review of it that says like, this is really awesome. And here's what it reminds me of. And people should check this out. And then the other comment is someone who wrote, it's 1993 and you're sitting alone in the hotel pool. And I'm like, there are two people here. I appreciate both of them, but one of them, I feel like I have a connection to. And the (laughs) other one, I just appreciate that they played my game. Um, and I think trash games have that opportunity for very interesting communication pathways that you mm-hmm. cannot make with other with people through other means. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah, so the next thing I wanted to talk about is game jams and also sort of National Novel Writing Month because that that's sort of a game jam. Uh, and what can we learn from them? So if you are unfamiliar with game jams, they are events where the whole point is to make a game or games in a short period of time usually with a theme and that short short period of time that's that's relative it can be anywhere from like i've seen game jams where it's like you have half an hour make a game in that time or um up to months i've seen game jams that have in fact there, there's even some sort of some game jams on itch.io right now where it's like this game jam list lasts 10 years and it's it's a gimmick, but it's like it's brought people together. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes they're ranked and have winners, and sometimes they don't. And I I tend to prefer the ones that are low pressure and longer periods of time and have communities around them. Mm-hmm. So one of the, one of the first things I wanted to share is that uh, game jams give an alibi for those scared to give up perfectionism. Alibi is this concept in the LARP scene, specifically the, the Nordic LARP scene, where it's like, uh, like you need to be almost given permission to do things that in the LARP that you wouldn't do in real life. So it's sort of like that. Like it gives it it gives you an out. Like you have you have permission to give up perfectionism for the sake of the jam, and it can give that extra little push for people who are afraid. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And also, I've, one other thing I've noticed through game jams is that shared goals or themes can drive a community. So, um, in fact, how I got into making games uh, like as a serious hobby <laughs> in the first place is because I joined a game jam and I saw I scrolled down and saw, oh, huh, there's a Discord server connected to this. And that was the first time I ever joined Discord. <laughs> and I have gone so far since then. <laughs> <laughs> And I made friends. I stayed up late and talking with them, and we shared resources for making games and talked about identity. Like it was great. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that yeah. So whether you're working on a team or even just as a solo designer um, in in this sort of uh, game jam sphere, you will end up making new friends if you make if you like enter the the community spaces. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, another thing that game jams are great for is smashing executive dysfunction. <laughs> so if you have trouble starting things or changing activities or planning things, game jams can provide a useful framework or and a little an extra little push to get you started uh, that, that, that overcome that inertia. It's the um, that, that little push. Mm-hmm. So uh, and there's there's a lot that can be said for um, making something imperfect and but finished in a short period of time rather than working on a long-term game project that remains unfinished forever like mm-hmm. the trash that you ca- that you publish through a game jam uh like, like you can expand on it later 
um, it's it, or it can just stay in the state it's in now and people can get something out of it even if it's not perfect I get the, I, I get something out of imperfect things all the time like that's why I'm so like committed to zine culture is because like I I see I get something out of it mm-hmm. even though everything is imperfect and in fact mm-hmm. I prefer the things that are imperfect because that's what makes us human mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to point out that there's a, a game jam coming up uh, called finish your damn RPG jam it, it, it's on itch.io right now you can sign up for it over 200 people have signed up for this already because a lot of people have the the perpetually unfinished project and this is like just get it done and here's this is this, this is the the message you've been waiting for to get it done <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're doing it with all these other people <laughs> mm-hmm. and so um, another note about uh, refining games after submitting them to a jam uh, this is really common with the golden cobras the have been mentioned before like i've seen people submit a game to their um use the jam period as an excuse to like actually get playtesting done and then after the they've gotten feedback from people who have played the game as a result of seeing it in the jam then they can make a little bit more polished version that they upload to somewhere else and this is also common with the peaky midwest larp writing event and iron gm which is associated with intercon lots of people create games in a very short period of time uh with a group of cool new friends in a lot of cases and then uh expand on it later or some of them just uh end up in a back drawer somewhere and that's okay because uh like it's same with with nanorimo national novel writing month i i've never won national novel writing month i've never finished anything for national novel writing month but i don't regret it i don't regret ever trying it because i get something out of it every time like cool new ideas that i'm like i'm gonna keep that and use it somewhere else that like (laughs) and so that's another thing about game gems like i've I've never regretted participating in a game jam either (laughs) hell yeah uh on the subject of game jams especially with uh with regards to trash games is um i would be remiss to say every year i run the not a game jam game jam where you are encouraged to submit games that aren't games whether that means that they're trash games or they're games that are written out of spite to someone uh, to spite that person in your comments saying, this isn't a real game. Uh, So check that out in uh, November in two days, I'll be starting it and it'll run through the rest of the year. So um, that's, that's a real (laughs) subgenre of game jams. Now it's game jams that are made completely out of spite. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we'll move on a little bit here. Um, and I'll I'll get to talk about my my favorite art forms, which are Dada, free jazz, and uh, queer trash, um, a little bit, <laughs> uh, because um, I this is really kind of the things that I'm passionate about, and and really have informed a lot of my game design uh, over the past few years, and I have really f- seen a lot of people uh, whose work also f- you know fills into this. This is the reason why I love running that not a game jam game jam. Um, is that there is, uh, you know, in in addition to the value of like making things quick, like that freedom of of uh, removing constraints, um, the DIY kind of like punk scene of of uh, you know the zine culture and everything, is that there's also just like a burgeoning world of art which is uh, really kind of sits to challenge. Uh, what we think about like quote unquote good or bad art is uh, these art are art forms that are maybe like actively hostile to the viewer uh, whose art forms are, you know, are annoying, are, are challenging. There's a really fantastic article uh, that I will make sure to include in um uh, in our little like footnotes uh, slide, um, which again, this is a great chance to to say if you want to play at home, uh, that slide deck is in uh, in the chat. Uh, it's also um, the tiny URL uh, at the top right. You can go and, and check this out that Bonnie Ruberg did as part of uh, queer game studies. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly what journal it is, but it's like uh, video games that are like actively difficult, like overly difficult, actively annoying, hostile to the viewer and, and kind of what that does to queer what we think of as a game. Um, uh, there are a bunch of uh, artists in, I think like the American 1920s and thirties that formed the school of Dadaism. 
um, you know, this this famous piece of art uh, fountain, this photograph of a urinal uh, signed R. Mutt, um, which uh, was so infuriating to the art culture at large that it itself was uh, either trashed or destroyed. Um, the only uh, the only image of it we have left is from photographs that people have have taken of it is this art that says you know i am not art or um like uh, you know i am specifically there to frustrate uh you know folks who have opinions on what art is or what can, art can do um and i'm 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 very much intrigued by the idea that trash games can do that um i want to get the name of it right uh but there was a a game jam uh run by a designer named Abe Mendez and they're a fantastic designer uh the game jam was the valid game jam which said that the only games that are actually valid as games are those games where the meat is stored on top of the refrigerator which is uh which lets it be cold enough but not freezing for the baby to climb to the top of the refrigerator to get the meat I think I got that wrong. I'm almost certain I did. Um, but in the spirit of this game jam, uh, I, I'm not going to correct myself. Um, so that kind of like, this isn't a thing, but it's also a thing for you to view. Um, and it's almost difficult. It's almost impossible to describe kind of these types of trash games uh, kind of almost by purpose. Like they are something that uh, that is not um, in themselves. And I, I think that that's something that's very interesting. Um, along those lines, there's almost this idea that um, it, it is inherently queer to make something that is quote unquote bad. Uh, there's like there's a tweet that went viral a while ago that that was just like I'm queering my job by being bad at it, um, and I, I really want to apply that to to game design. It's like I'm I'm queering game design by effing sucking at it. Um, uh, I try to remain family friendly here. Um, but it's just like, you know, we, we think about a lot of what we think is quote unquote valuable or uh, is of value in a society, uh, which is primarily uh, dominated by he the heteropatriarchy. Uh, and this is where I'm going to get like really pretentious and, and, and spout off at the mouth. Uh, but art that challenges that and says, I... I am, my purpose is to be bad. My purpose is to suck, is to just like be horrible to look at, be horrible to play, um, to be horrible to read uh, is, is a challenge to that and a way of bucking um, the way that we think about art in terms of that good and bad. So that's why, that's why we say good and bad are just marketing terms. There is no way to say this is a good piece of art. And even though there are many people who have valid ways to challenge that statement, the statement of there is no good, there is no bad art. Um, the arguments to that statement are really kind of invalidated by the fact that that statement doesn't care. Like it, it says in itself, like I don't care if there is a good or bad in art because there is no good or bad in art. It itself like exists as a challenge to what is good or bad in art. Um, and I, I love games that uh, are, are doing that. There's, uh, I 100% am uh, sure that I'm getting the name of this wrong, but there's an RPG that was published a while ago, like in maybe the early 2000s, maybe the late 90s. If someone knows uh, exactly what it is, um, that's great. I'll also do some research after this panel and include it in the slide deck uh, called Normalcy, which is uh, an RPG that was written almost entirely by hand. So it's not a text typed RPG on the page. It's like handwritten notes. There's like coffee stains. Things are crossed out. Um, you can't tell if the text is diegetic or in world uh, or if it's instructional. There is it, it is a text of an RPG that exists to confound, annoy and uh, destroy the viewer. Like it's you you really get that feeling of of this is something that is hostile to me. I love games that can't be played or um, games that destroy themselves as they're being played. There's a, it's not a tabletop RPG, um, but there's a video game called, uh, I, I believe it's called Queers in Love at the End of the World, uh, where you, it's a twine game and you take on the, per, the point of view of one uh, of maybe multiple queer lovers 
at the end of the world and the game only lasts 10 seconds. Uh, you start it and then after 10 seconds, the game takes you back to the beginning. Um, and so it's a way of like challenging what we think of a game in terms of like, what is a story that has, you know, that, that arc to it? What is something that's playable? Um, and then there's also just like the value of camp to things uh, like the, um, the cats 2019 uh, game jam, um, which was uh, a delight to uh, both participate in and see the results out of uh, which was like, make a game that was inspired by cats 2019, which is, a horrendous mess of delightful indulgence remains one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, uh, and I, I think the the thing that I love the most about it is that you, you get bonus points. If you somehow include game designer, extraordinaire Lucian Khan in your game, uh, a, a, a incredibly talented queer game designer who loves cats, uh, both the animal and the, the film, um, uh, and it, it just had this kind of like strong, uh, this strong trash feel to it and vibe that I love. Um, one of the things that I, I do really love about camp as kind of an artistic sensibility um, is the fact that it is, it really requires, uh, <laughs> it really requires you to not care about quote unquote good or bad. Part of the the value of camp is that um, the art is bad, but you also can't try to make bad art camp because that defeats the purpose. It says camp is only bad on accident and it's only good on accident. Um, uh, I'll, I'll touch quickly because I know we're, we're getting to that 10 minute time here uh, quickly on free jazz, which is another art form that I think really does this. Um, my, my favorite free jazz album uh, of, of all time is on the screen here. Uh, it's by the Peter Bratzman Quartet and it's called Machine Gun. It is a wall of sound. It's just, it's, it's instrumentalists uh, making noise as loudly as they possibly can. It's just this horribly dissonant uh, assault musically. Um, and it's fantastic, uh, both in terms of listening to it, because it, it just, it's not like anything that you've ever heard before, but also um, kind of intellectually, theoretically, because it was written uh, and performed in the 1980s in Europe. Uh, as a direct response to the rise of fascism. Um, and uh, it, it kind of touches back on my ideas of the, the, this trash art is in direct conversation with the active modes and values and hierarchy of a society that is really kind of like hostile and dangerous to, uh, to those who fit within that hierarchy. And so this is saying, you know, we are making a piece of art that is a statement against the values that the fascists rising in the eighties have. And we are making this in, in a very specific way to assault their sensibilities. This is an attack on the rise of fascism in the form of this ways of wave of sound and, and, and screaming jazz. Uh, I super love it. I love hearing about it. If you can read about it uh, and listen to it, I really highly suggest that you do. Uh, I would also I, be remiss as a game designer if I didn't say that I wrote a game for the record collection jam uh, that is based off of this. It, ha it goes by the exact same name. Uh, I might include that in the notes at the end. Um, and then I think we've touched on the value of amateurism a little bit in kind of our past segments, but I think that there's something very freeing uh, to saying, I do not have to make something good. I can just make something um, and actively bucking uh, kind of the, the trappings and the hostility of capitalism mm -hmm. um, by not really caring about game as product uh, and, and focusing on game as uh, the art of creation or the game as the indulgence of creation. So I know that I just talked for a long time. Um, before we get to our next segment, uh, do you guys have any? I want to make sure that you yeah, have Yeah, I, I just to, wanted to throw one thing at that. Like, what we're saying here is not that you have to do one or the other. You can do mm -hmm. both. And like an artist can, you know, go somewhere and work on a, a masterpiece mural that's taking them years to put together. And then they can come home and they can scroll something on a napkin. Yeah, so sure. like, you know, you can you can do the you can do work on the thing that you think might be marketable, might be a product, might be whatever. But you could also come home and like do trash design and 
it's a way of practicing game design. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a way of like loosening up your restrictions, letting it go, you know, and there are games on the market that have what I would call like trash design moments to them where, you know, somebody wrote something and they were like, whatever, just leave it in. So there's a game. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember which one it is, but the tiebreaker is the players go home. They each play in a seed. And in like three years, whichever one has a bigger tree wins the tiebreaker. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like there are people that would be angry to hear yeah. that tiebreaker because they want a tiebreaker right now yep. um, to solve it. But you know what? Like, like I like it. I want to plant a tree to determine whether or not I won this game mm-hmm. three years from now. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out that uh, at, with the word amateur, it's like it, it comes from the idea of doing something because you love it, not because you are an expert at it. Um, And there's something that can be learned from that. Like there's a lot of negative connotations to the word amateur now, but Mm -hmm. it it comes from a place of love. Yeah. (laughs) Over the past year, I've stopped calling myself a professional game designer, even though I do make games and they do sell and I do have an income that comes from that. Um, it, it is not my day job. It's not how I, it's not who I am. And I really am more and more falling in love with the term of being an amateur game designer. So I, I'm really, I am not a professional game designer. I'm an amateur game designer who happens to make money. Um, we'll, we'll close out kind of the main section here uh, kind of quickly. I know we went over on, I think all of our sections mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and I want to make sure that we have time for, uh, for some of our, Q and A, uh, Jack. Do you want to close us out? Yeah, with yeah. Some so, of these notes. So uh, this is just a little bit about getting your trash chart out there and sharing it with people. Um, you know, again, obviously, you can hang something on your wall and not share it with anybody. That's totally fine. Like the act of making games doesn't have to be an act you share with other people. But mm-hmm. if you do, um, you know, num- item number one: do not expect to make money and and act accordingly. Um, if you're going to spend money on any part of your game design, on making prototypes, that sort of thing, like it's better to consider it part of your entertainment or your hobby budget, something that you're not necessarily investing in. Um, uh, you know, prepare to do a little bit of everything yourself um, and become an amateur at, at everything yourself. Like if you want your game to have some degree of graphic design or some degree of art or some degree of proofreading just expect to do it yourself um you're probably not going to find people that are going to do it for you um if you look at the uh slides there's an image of art that i made for a sock puppet inspired game um there are tricks that you can learn uh there's tons and tons of help on the internet that will tell you how to do graphic design how to set up layers all that kind of stuff um most of the things that I do, I learned over the course of like a five minute YouTube video. So it's not a huge investment of time. Um, uh, I I generally say don't steal anything because there's plenty of free options. Um, but again, if it's just for yourself, you know, do whatever you want. You know, you can copy games and just change the theme and, and scrape off the serial numbers. That's up to you. Like it's art. You can do it yourself. Um, and then finally, there's a lot of free options uh, or free-ish options. Um, there's print on demand, which charges a person for buying it as opposed to you for producing it and then selling it. Um, there's print and plays, which people you know print themselves. There's itch.io, which all three of us use to share our games uh, in kind of a public space. Um, there's building your own website. I have uh, effectively a design portfolio website that just has links to all of my games um and then the big thing i've been using lately is tabletop simulator um any of my games that are available in any format are available on tabletop simulator you just apply the mod and then you can play it through there uh tabletopia is another option um but those do cost money for you to get your own copy tabletop simulator is 20 bucks i'm not sure about tabletopia usually goes on sale for like 10 bucks but the investment will save you. You have no idea how much money on prototyping costs. I can't <laughs> tell you that much. Um, if you have plans to play your game, playing it virtually is always going to be way cheaper than playing it live. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Uh, so I did put a call in the chat here. We are taking audience questions for uh, the rest of our time here. It looks like we've got 12 minutes left. Um, we've got links to all of our stuff here, our social medias, our, our web portfolios. 
we really would love audience questions in the chat, so uh, feel free to pop them in there and we'll uh, we'll get them away. We did get one kind of at the top of the show uh, from Jason, uh, Genesis of Legend in the chat. How much of trash games as a philosophy involves the concept of producing quantity to hone your skills versus intentionally boundary pushing experimentation? Um, I have a lot of trouble focusing on a single project at any given time. So I tend to do the scatter shot, like I'll work on this and then I'll work on this. Um, lately I've been trying to get a little more focused on like having a fin like a finished product and not necessarily retail finished, but like just a playable game that I can share with other people and know that they're going to be able to play it without me. Um, that's, that's the big step for me is I want to get the game to a point where the instructions can be read by somebody without me being there to guide the experience, mm. um, unless guiding the experience is part of the game, in which case, you know, have at it. Um, but there's definitely like, like my, um, make it as complicated as possible two player game is definitely one of those intentionally boundary pushing, uh, experimentations, um, and it's something that I spend a little time on. I go do something else. I spend a little time on, and and so it's a little bit of everything. But you know, choose what works for you. You know, it's it's your art. It's your you know thing. Um, you know, uh, we are very much encouraged when we're doing play tests to like accept player feedback. Uh, and when you are making a game that is marketable, that's probably a very prudent thing. If a player says, I would never spend money on this, you want to listen to them. But when you're making a trash game, <laughs> if a player says, I would never spend money on this, great, good job. Like maybe this made enough, gave you enough of a feeling that I can still count it as a success. Um, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, that that would be my response to that. <laughs> I feel like there's room in the category of trash design for like uh, quantity over quality type stuff where you like you like uh, make as much as you possibly can, as well as like intentional like I want to mess with the player experimentation, like mm -hmm. any anything that goes outside the boundary of like what is marketable, what is corporate, mm -hmm. what is um, something that you can you're intentionally putting out there to make money. And I feel like so many people, I, uh, they overlook this kind of stuff. Um, I, and it doesn't get uh, the kind of attention it deserves, but like there, I still love the, how there's niche community for these niche products. <laughs> mm -hmm. I um, just realized, uh, I want to do a quick call out here. Um, in the the Twitch feed, it looks like a little bit of our slides were getting cut off, so I just moved the the URL from the corner into the main screen of the page for folks. Uh, and if anyone's listening along, uh, the URL to the the slide deck is tinyurl.com/htnw669s. Um, and then with our last few minutes, I think we could each kind of. Uh, give some shout outs some, to some trash games or trash mechanics we've we've really loved lately. Um, one I want to point to is uh, quite a few months ago, Humble Bundle came out with a game called The Corridor. And in the game, you load it up, you walk to the end of a hallway, you press a button, and a narrator says, don't ever play this game again, and the game <laughs> closes. Love it. Um, and it's it develops from there. I don't want to spoil anything. But it is a fantastic experience that, you know, again, breaks a lot of rules when it comes to game design. Um, you know, a lot of games these days especially are like, hey, are you sure you want to leave? Maybe you want to play a little bit more. This one's like, no, get out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Alder Cohen in the chat says that they have a, a kinship with this panel with so many projects going. Love that. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I procrastinate for for working on one project by working on another project and then jump and then switch back so that I'm working on the other project to procrastinate on the project I was procrastinating on that project with. <laughs> and that's how I get things done. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I also want to call out... Uh, 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 Medusa's Hair, uh, Bad Day, which was a uh, Golden Cobra's uh, submission a few years ago uh, from Kitty uh, Stolsky. Um, 
And the idea in it is that somebody sits in front of a mirror and they're Medusa and uh, all the other players have sock puppets that play Medusa's hair, whispering, encouraging and uh, supportive things into Medusa's ear uh, to help her, you know, make it through her bad day. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about trash design, like we have mentioned hostile trash design a lot. But I think emotional trash design can also be a thing because that is not a game that that I would consider marketable in any way. It's not a game that people will necessarily play more than once or that you can write an adventure for. But it is a game that gives me feelings when I talk about it and when I explain the mechanics of it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, games that give a particular uh, emotional response, I think, are a fantastic way to approach game design and say like, you know what? I have this thing, this, this reality for me, um, mm-hmm. uh, Darla's, uh, please stop giving me superpowers. Dear, dear, great Cthulhu, uh, does that because it's a game very much about disability and, um, experiencing the mixed blessings and curses of, uh, the things that, you, you know, you've, you've obtained throughout your life. And, and, that is a story and an experience that isn't easy to convey to people just through direct speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've got um, a friend uh, uh, who I believe I believe their Twitter handle is Beyond the Binary, or uh, it, I I, uh, I should remember. It's like, actually, let me look this up. Um, <laughs> And I let me. I need to make sure that this is correct because I love their games, and they. Uh, oh, no, no, it is not beyond the binary. Uh, I, I believe I've I've been corrected. Uh, Darla's game is about disability and queerness. Mm-hmm. Uh, just oh to, yeah, just to make it clear. <laughs> um, but definitely, you know that that is one you should check out. Uh, Darla spent. Uh, pre-metatopia emailing everybody by hand because i guess itch uh their email system collapsed oh, at no. the worst possible time so uh it definitely give them some support because i'm sure they could use the uh the extra encouragement mm-hmm. we'll put out a last call for questions we got four minutes i think before they uh give us a close Oh, one thing I I want another example I could bring up of like um, uh, a friendly trash game is one that I made that as a personal challenge to see can I make a trading card game that isn't about fighting and is in the entire instructions and for the entire game are on a single card mm. and it's called it's called sticker trading card friendship game and the whole point is to get you to meet people at conventions. <laughs> and you just print out a bunch of copies of the card and like um and, and it, it helps if more people are playing it because there's some like trading mechanics but you you level up your card by collecting business cards from other people at the con mm-hmm. <laughs> and it encourages you to talk to people love that absolutely I, I also want to throw out there, uh, when COVID got started, uh, I reached out to Doug Lewandowski, who uh, is is probably best known right now for uh, kids on bikes, kids on brooms, that sort of stuff. And uh, we put together a bundle of experimental games. And, and the pitch was basically like, we know a bunch of people that have games in their back pocket that they can't possibly sell. So let's reach out to all of them. We'll throw them into a bundle and we'll put it up online. And anybody that pays for it, the money's going to go to charity. Um, and so, you know, that was a really great experience with uh, basically like taking a bunch of trash games. They were all uh, kind of social distancing friendly games. Um and doing something good with them. Um, and that's something we may have to revisit uh, now that I'm talking about it. <laughs> yes, I, I found the proper um, itch site and mm-hmm. uh, Twitter. It is beating the binary from mm. my friend Moss, um, who, and some of the games, um, there's a game that it, it, is a, it is a micro LARP that is basically just a reminder to have something to drink. Love it. Is, uh, I, I think I met Moss last last year. Did they write the uh, the RPG? I'm worried about wine moms. Uh, yes. 
Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the one about the drinking, it's called I Need Your Strongest Potions. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, that's another one where, like, just hearing the title, I'm like, all right, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's another one that's called Writing the Ley Line, where it, it's another micro LARP where the entire thing is about imagining that as you're, like, going on public transit to get to work, that you are traveling through this, like, magical transportation system. It's, like, a, a <laughs> way of, like, brightening your day. Like, it's, like, and it just bringing imagination and playfulness into your normal life (laughs) incredible well we're gonna get the call soon that the the stream is ending so i wanted to take time to say thank you to everyone who who called in uh thank you to double exposure and metatopia for allowing us this platform um i'm taylor i'm on twitter at leviathan files uh and why don't we uh close out with some sayonaras yeah uh jack rose tree and i'm jack rose tree basically everywhere So, um, Olivia Montoya, um, you can usually find me going by Meta Paradox, but on Twitter, I'm Paradox Revealed and OliviaMontoya.com. Uh, you can find all my stuff there. Awesome. <laughs>